Hi everyone, Dr. Edith here. If you have a tween or teen at home, you will not be surprised to hear that in recent surveys, over 90% of them have said they're on social media. You also won't be surprised to hear that over a third of them say they're on it all the time. And listen, there's a lot we're learning about the impact social media has on the mental health of teens. But to be clear, based on what we know so far, the potential for it to have negative effects is very real. The Surgeon General saying kids and teens who spend more than three hours a day on social media face double the risk of experiencing symptoms of depression and anxiety. Did countless images of models and influencers filling some feeds contribute to a new surge in eating disorders? We take all of this extremely seriously. And because of that, we have recruited an amazing expert to talk to us about the good, the bad and the ugly of social media and our teens. From Columbia University Children's Health in New York, you are listening to The Stuff That Matters for Kids Health. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Edith Bracho Sanchez. I am a new mama who also happens to be a pediatrician, and I want to personally invite you to join me in talking to some of the most brilliant minds of our time as I ask them, what are the things that really matter today for our kids to turn out okay? For today's show, I sat down with my colleague, Dr. Marina Cadalosi, who is an adolescent medicine specialist. She is the vice president of health and chief medical officer at Barnard College, and she is also the mom of two teens. Very quickly, remember the content on this podcast is provided for general information only and should not be relied on as a substitute for any professional medical advice or treatment. The views shared on this show solely reflect the expertise and experience of me, your host, and our guests. Anyway, here's my chat with Dr. Marina Cadalosi. Enjoy. Marina, welcome. Edith, thank you so much. I can't tell you how excited I am to be on this podcast with you. I'm a huge fan of yours. Oh, <laughs> so thank you. So being able to sit down and talk particularly about social media is really exciting. Yay. I'm so excited. So I want to start, I always like to start by asking people what they do in their day job, and you do a lot of things. <laughs> so tell us about some of them. Well, thank you. So I think that if you looked on my social media handle, it says that I am a mother, a partner, an adolescent medicine health specialist as well. And so I actually have been at Columbia since 2006. I am an mm. adolescent medicine specialist, which means I actually trained as a pediatrician and I take care of kids from 10 to can go as far as 26 because of brain development. I've also really tried in all of the work that I do to think about how am I supporting the health and well-being of young people and if that's through direct clinical care, educating others about adolescent health and development, doing research in those areas and doing advocacy. So right now, I in addition to seeing patients, inpatient and outpatient, I am the vice chair for education, overseeing education in the med students and residents fellowship and I feel like being an adolescent medicine specialist helps for people to see what some of the options are that you can do in the future, or at least infusing them with the love of caring for young people. Yeah. Um, and the other part of my job is actually as the vice president for health and wellness at Barnard College. And there I'm establishing a center for well-being. That's the Francine A. Lafrac Center for Well-Being. And it is going to focus on really the overlap of physical, mental, and financial well-being, particularly for people who identify as women. Amazing. In other words, you are fully committed in every aspect of your life to the <laughs> well-being of young people. And we're really just so lucky to have you here. So 
I have to start this conversation about social media by asking you, how much are the teens in your life on social media? That is a great question. So I have two amazing teenagers, one that just turned 18 and one that is turning 14. And one thing that I think is really important is how we in our family as adults have modeled behavior. And so we are limiting what social media we're part of, and we made choices based on really what they were going to be a part of. So particularly Instagram. And if I have followers, they are generally family, people who know me very well, we're not public. And any time that I post my children, I ask them if it's okay to post, right? So Mm. really just try to model that behavior, not being on social media all the time. My 18-year-old is really interesting because during the pandemic, she really saw TikTok as a place to learn. And I will tell you that we had so many good recipes (laughs) and she had so many great arts and crafts, et cetera. And one of the things that we do anytime they're getting any new social media is we talk about what restrictions there are going to be. So time restrictions or if it can be public or not, never public, not sharing your location who they connect with. The reason for getting on that social media is it because they want to connect with friends and the time of day that we all stop with our phones in general. We have like a family docking station where, you know, during mealtime, we try to dock, et cetera. And one of the things that I sort of felt like, okay, we are doing okay, is that during exams in high school, my daughter would say, okay, in two days, I'm going to be taking like I'm going to remove my apps for TikTok and Instagram. And then when I'm done with exams, I'll put them back on. And she modeled that for my son who now does it. So we really just try to be very open and talk about it. They do use social media though. And that was a really hard decision. My son's 14th birthday, he asked for Snapchat. And we really had to talk about why and how he would use it and what restrictions we would put on it. So a lot of it is just a very open conversation about their use, but also, and we can talk more about this later, social media literacy. Yeah, I love that. And I love how open you guys have been about it. Let me ask you, how much do you supervise what they're doing? (laughs) Um, I think, you know, and this goes along with the American Psychological Association's recommendations, which is that we should be supervising based on the age and really the developmental stage of the young person, Mm -hmm. right? So my 18-year-old, you know, I certainly see what she posts and check in. I'm not checking her phone as much anymore. My 14-year-old, I'm checking his phone. And he knows it's random checks that we're very open and transparent about that because, again, he has a developing brain. We know that his frontal cortex, that CEO, that decision maker is still developing. And I know that he may be in a situation sometimes where he is either receiving something or seeing something that may be harmful to him personally, that could harm somebody else. It could be, we know that there's a lot of content that is basically created for a young person. There are algorithms there. And we know that there's a lot of underlying racist content, right? And so making sure that I'm seeing what he sees, what he's talking about, et cetera, is really important. So I really, it has depended on their age and stage, but we do put in each 
app has different restrictions that you can place. And then as they grow and are responsible, you can remove those restrictions. Yeah. So it's sort of that concept of going heavy at the beginning with the restrictions, with the supervision as they learn, right? And it's like everything else. You wouldn't give a child a car without, you know, sitting with them in the front seat at first, right? And supervising what they're doing. It's sort of the same way of thinking about it. Now, you mentioned the recommendations. Tell me more about what those official recommendations are right now. Yeah. So it's interesting. So when you look at the APA's recommendations, I think they make a lot of sense. And so the first one is what I talked about before, which is be an example for your children Mm -hmm. um, and be an example in all of the good ways. So limit your time, be careful of what you post and be careful of paying attention to that instead of your family and your kids. Um, I think that's really important. The second is that idea of controls. You can control content, amount of time, restrictions that you think are appropriate, as we talked about regarding their developmental stage. And then that idea of talking regularly, not only about their use, but the myths and disinformation that exists on social media. And I think that's one of the key pieces, understanding that just because it's on Instagram or TikTok does not mean it comes from a real place. What is the news that is real or not? Really that social media literacy. Um, And then that idea of social comparisons, knowing that there's filters, that there are ways that people adjust things. So those are important things to talk about. And I think the last one is really, as a parent, if your child is engaged in a behavior that keeps them from sleeping, which is important for their brain, keeps them from social interaction in person keeps them from being physically active or is so distracting, that is problematic behavior. Definitely. And just as we would with video games or with hanging out with individuals you're not comfortable with, anything that really is problematic, you need to intervene. And I think that's the piece where people sort of think, oh, all kids are on social media and, oh, I guess he's he's got it in bed with him. Not okay. And that, as a parent, is critically important. Yeah. And I see that so much, Marina. In my practice, you know, the teens that come to see me as a general pediatrician, there's so many teens who are not getting enough sleep. Or when they do sleep, I do get the sense that they're not resting when they have the phone right next to them. And they're always looking to see what are they missing out on, right? Like, what are my friends doing that I need to be caught up on in the morning? And I think it's it's on us as the adults at home to set those limits, to free, to unburden the kids, right, from having that phone and that pressure right next to them at all times. Rena, I do also wonder, in the way that we're talking about this, in the restrictions, in the way that we talk about how bad social media can be for body image, for example, which is a real, real concern, the social comparisons that you mentioned, are we at times leaving out positives from some of this conversation? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I think is so critically important is you think about we're living in New York City. And so there is diversity here. There are more supports for kids, for example, who are LGBT or kids see them right. see themselves here in, in successful places. For young people who have been minoritized in any way, either based on their race or their gender identity, their sexuality, Social media can be a critical place to connect, to see positive Mm. images, to see what is possible, and to see that there can be support. And that's why when you look at the Surgeon General's statement, when you look at the APA recommendations, it really states, you know what, we are not completely sure this is all bad or all good. There are some benefits 
the benefits are real for particularly kids with minoritized statuses in any way, and in general for kids to be able to socialize, to see issues around social justice, et cetera, in a different way. So I think it's really important for us not to throw it all away. It is here. The question is, as parents, what can we do? And then what can we advocate for in terms of what can the social media platforms platforms do? What can they do to stop these algorithms to not try to negatively impact young people? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there's room for all of that, right? Just because we are in this current stage does not mean that we can't make these platforms better, that we can't get better at using them and supervising. Rena, you mentioned the Surgeon General statement. Why was that such a big deal? It was a big deal for all of us who work in healthcare, but but for people who, you know, may not really hear from the Surgeon General very often, why was that such a big deal? I think that's such a great question. And, you know, I think he has done a really good job of focusing on the health of young people, which is not something that the Surgeon General always does. He is our nation's physician. He is looking at all of the evidence and really helping to guide us all. And it came on the heels of this December statements of, look, mental health issues in young people, we are at a crisis. Um, We know we don't have enough mental health providers. We know young people need more support. And then to say, and we know that social media is contributing. Now, it is not be all end all cause, but there's a contribution and we need to be paying attention. And there is a responsibility for all of us. And that means, like you said, you're noticing, you're asking about social media in the adolescence you see in your practice, mm-hmm. in your life in general, whether it's a, you're a parent or a cousin or a friend, yeah. and that we are also going to hold accountable social media platforms. And I think that for me is so important. Now, it doesn't mean that in some states they're just cutting it all off. And I'm not sure that's the right thing to do because we know that doesn't really work. But he really gave us a moment to say, look, I've talked to you about mental health of young people. I'm talking to you about social media use. 95% of young people are using social media. About (laughs) a third of those are using it, they say, basically constantly. Right. Um, So that's the reality. It's concerning. Um, And how can we you know, mediate this? Yeah. So in a way, he escalated the issue, right? (laughs) It's this you know, I've talked to you about this before. We all keep hearing about this crisis in the mental health of young people. Let's pay attention to this. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us who are parents, I already am thinking about this and I have a little guy who's still a toddler, but I'm already thinking, how much am I putting him on there? And right now, for me personally, I have chosen to put him on my social media. For me, it is important to share our experiences and to be candid about motherhood and and becoming a parent and how hard it can be. But I'm already thinking about, oh gosh, how much am I exposing him? How much am I putting him out there? What is he going to think of this when he grows up? And so I think it's something that we as parents were already reckoning with. And this escalates it in many ways. So Marina, just to be very, very clear, right? And let's talk maybe in stages. Yeah. For parents of preteens who are thinking, do I let my preteen use this? Do I not? What are some key factors that they should consider? I think anyone who is 8 to 10, 11 years old really should not have their own social media. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is they really, in terms of their cognition and their connection, 
I think exposure, you can show them things, you can ask them about if they're okay being on your social media platform, but it's really not appropriate. Yeah. Once you're 13, because that's really the age where it's okay, as long as you get a parental guidance with it, it's really one platform that you decide on. You should also be on that platform. You should be talking with kids ahead of time about what your expectations are and how to protect themselves, but also how to engage in a way that they will enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and then, as we talked about before, grading it from there. I love how you're talking about being already thoughtful about your son. I love following you. I think that your <laughs> um, Instagram, et cetera, you do a really great job of pointing out the positives, right? So having other young mothers who have not had children before learn and think, hey, this is okay. I'm not alone. I'm learning here. And here's this physician who's sharing her experience as well. I think that's beautiful. Those are things you can think about in your eight, nine, 10, if you want to show them something Mm -hmm. or if they could learn something. But eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, it's really just too young. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that because I do think sometimes we need to be clear on the ages and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. And I do think a lot of 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds that I see are on social media already and I always just sort of go, yikes, what are we doing here, right? Marina, I do also wonder sometimes and I wonder how you talk to your kids about this. How much are we curating our lives for the gram, so to speak. Because even me sometimes, and I catch myself and I really, really try not to do this. But sometimes I go out of my way, like I'm going, I don't know, like I'm going on a walk with William. And I'm like, oh, how cute would it be to take a picture eating ice cream? So then I go buy the ice cream to take the picture, which is like mind blowing that I would even have that thought to do that. And I try to catch myself and say, would I be having ice cream right now if it wasn't because I want that really cute photo? And and sometimes the answer is no. And then I'm like, okay, Edith, go home then. <laughs> but I wonder, how do you talk about that? How do you talk about real life versus curating our lives so that we can show what we're doing and show the world a certain way that our lives look? I think that is so critical. And That's part of social media literacy is that critical eye of what are you deciding to post or not. And it's interesting, my 18-year-old posts very little because I think she is very sensitive about, I'm not out there to show people who I am. She did journalism in high school. And for her, that's kind of how she thinks about, you know, news, et cetera. My son has told me he really likes posting something exciting about the Yankees or his teams, right? And so if we go to a sporting event, he likes to post what he's seeing, or if they've won something or there's news, he'll put it on a story. I've been pretty clear with them. It's mostly friends and family that I can't text all the photos to. So, you know, if I want people to see something exciting that's happening for us as a family. So we do talk about like, how do you make that decision to post or not? Um, When do you post something that's an opinion and who's going to see that? And it's unidimensional. And what does that mean? Or how do you react to someone else? So we really do try to talk about it. And it takes time. There are actually family social media plans that you can come up with based on your child's age and being really literal about it. It takes a lot of time, but there are resources that are provided that really can help, particularly if people are getting into issues or problems with their young people. Yeah. And that's actually the last question I had for you, Marina. What do you do 
when you're teen or preteen, depending on you know what age you allow this to come into your home, is acting like they're addicted. Like they can't, I mean, they have multiple platforms. They can't seem to get off of them. You're having issues at night trying to take it away. Perhaps it's affecting their body image. Perhaps it's affecting their mental health. What do you do when you find yourself in one of those situations? That is a great question. And I think, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me where I find myself on social media if I was bored or oh, yes. I'm in an elevator and not connecting. And I've had times where I've had to force myself to say, you know what, I'm putting the phone away. Yeah. I'm not going to go on it or we'll delete it because there is an addictive quality. There is Absolutely. a circuitry in your brain. I mean, it's how it works. And for the developing brain, even more so. And remembering that the parts of the brain that are developing, again, that CEO and then the sensation seeker. And so the idea of seeing new stories or exciting things, right, that plays into the developing adolescent brain. If your child is, again, that's interrupting their sleep, mm -hmm. their educational activities, their physical activity, their in-person social interaction, then it really is something you have to seek help for. Oftentimes, it's not enough to just take a phone away, et cetera. Um, right. See your pediatrician and they can refer you to a specialist or a psychologist who actually work in, it's like an area of addiction. And it's really critically important to be able to intervene. And also for your child to understand, this is not just me as a parent thinking this is not okay, but there is a way for us to manage this for you. And there's a way for you to develop other interests and activities. And that can be really meaningful. Absolutely. And it's part of that awareness that you've done so well with your kids of having the conversation ahead of time so that when they're feeling like this is stressing them out, like this is, you know, something they're going to when they're anxious, when they're bored. Me personally, I'll share when I was in my postpartum period, the early postpartum period, it really stressed me out to look at all these Instagram perfect moms. And I just had to disconnect for a while. And I, I had to have that awareness that it was really impacting my mental health. So it's absolutely something that we should be talking about early as you've done with your kids. Marina, we talked about the ages. We talked about how to talk about it before we allow kids to go on these platforms. We talked also about the advocacy piece of it. What would you say as your parting words for some of these platforms and what we should be asking for as parents and demanding that these platforms do for our kids? I think that's a great question. And I think that a lot of these platforms are created for adults. I think a lot of the algorithms and where they head, particularly it's been shown for girls, can have a very negative effect. So really undoing that for young people, if you see the age is less than 18, and really thinking through how do you maintain an age cutoff, perhaps making it more clear what the controls parents have. You really have to search some of these platforms mm. to figure it out. And I think they could do a much better job of being partners with physician groups, psychologists, yes. and families. Um, yes. And if they can partner, I think that would make a big difference. I know the government has, and different legislators have made some really nice opportunities. Some have gone a little, you know, some may say too far, but partnership is key. Yeah. Well, Marina, thank you so much for being so candid about how you've gone about this in your life and for all the work that you do for the mental health and well-being of young kids. Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. And thank you at home for joining me on the Stuff That Matters for Kids Health podcast. 
If you liked our show, make sure to tune back in next week to leave us a rating and review and to help us spread the word about our show. That's right. We'd love it if you could tell a parent, friend, IRL in real life, or just drop a link on your group chat. We'll take that too. You can also find us and more information on Kids Health on our social media channels at Kids at Columbia. I'm Dr. Edith Bracho Sanchez in New York, and I'll see you next time.